0: Heavenly Father, uh, this is your moment. I'm asking that you would make it what you want it to be. I know that if it's just the words of Tim Bathurst, uh, we might as well go home right now. Uh, I'm asking that it would be your words through me, that you would touch me with your Holy Spirit, and uh, that you would anoint every person in this room with your Holy Spirit. Uh, to hear, to Give us ears that can hear your word. Give us ears to hear what you have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, Ben, I'm really still very live up here, so I don't know what you're going to have to do about that, but I trust you, brother. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about John Mark, uh, the author of the second gospel. Um, We're going to be talking about his failure and redemption. Uh, He is one of what we're calling a secret agent of change, secret in the sense unexpected agent of change. We're going to continue our sermon series um, called Secret Agents of Change. You know, there are many stories of failure to success in our culture. There, at that failure to success is a powerful narrative in our pop culture, is it not? I can give you many, many examples. Uh, probably the best example, Beyonce, the Queen Bee herself, or some would say the Queen Bey. Um Before her solo career and before Destiny's Child, she was a part of an all-girls group called Girls' Time. Uh, this group appeared on Star Search, for those who are younger in in the sanctuary today. Star Search was a television show where people competed in entertainment. It was a lot like American Idol, it was a lot like America's Got Talent back, back in the 80s. Uh, well, her group competed, they lost, she was devastated. I feel so bad for Beyonce. <laughs> she has it so hard. Speaking of queen bees, Put up uh, another queen bee up there. You have that picture? This is the queen bee of our house. This is our cat, Aquila. Um, this actually is a picture that is currently hanging in my living room. I can't believe this. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is my son David's sense of humor. He bought a big picture of Aquila, queen bee that's uh, for my, my wife, Amy, and it's now. And I was like, you gotta take this thing down. They're like, well just, let's see what people, what they think, think if they're, we're nuts or not. Um, now, Akilah has her own story of success, and her own story of tragedy and failure before that success, let me tell you that. As a kitten, she was abandoned in Fisher Park. She grew up in the mean streets of Balney, finding a home in the holly bush next to our house. One cold November night, our daughter Rachel, full of compassion in her heart, fed Akela and took her into our home. Akela quickly rose to great heights in our household, eventually bypassing all of our children and eventually usurping my own authority, the authority of my wife to become the Queen Bee of 6103 North H3. Street. right. Some real examples, some more real examples. Lady Gaga was dropped from Def Jam Records after only three months. Early in her career, a record label rep told her she didn't have the right look. That's why she looks the way she does now, her flamboyant look, she didn't have the right look. He also said to her, all the uh, songs you've written so far, they'll never be hits. I feel bad for her as well. Now, I could go on and on and on, Albert Einstein, Abraham Lincoln, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Walt Disney, all examples of people who failed significantly before they succeeded. Michael Jordan, most consider him the GOAT, the greatest of all times, greatest basketball player ever. He was cut from his high school basketball team. Pity that, Coach. I feel bad for Michael, too. This is a quote from Michael. I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Failure is a part of life. What is your relationship with failure? How do you feel about your own failure? Like I said, we're in the sermon series, Secret Agents of Change. We'll be talking about John Mark, um, his failure and redemption. Now, notice I said redemption, not success, redemption, because his story is very, very different than all those stories that I just told you, and we'll see why in the sermon. Let me just give a little bit of introduction to John Mark. Many believe he was born in North Africa in Cyrene and later moved to Jerusalem In Acts 12.12, we see that his mother's name is Mary and that her house played a key role in the starting of the church. He's obviously the author of the book of Mark, the second gospel, and he was a missionary with Peter. And maybe even more significantly, he was a missionary with Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas being his cousin. And key for our sermon today, at one point, John Mark was an utter failure in his life. Paul refused to take John Mark on the second missionary trip that he took. Because on the first missionary trip, John Mark abandoned both he and Barnabas. And we'll see this later in the sermon. There, there came such a huge division between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark that they separated. And we'll see that later on in the sermon. Jesus, uh, the, book, the purpose of the book of uh, Mark, Right in the first verse of the, uh, the first chapter, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The Messiah, both in the Old Testament, referred to in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, this concept among the people of God is, they believe that the Messiah would bring about the reign of God on earth. What they really meant was a, a victorious military reign on earth. And Jesus had something very different in mind. The book of Mark most people think is uh, broken up into three parts. Act number one is in Galilee. It asks the question, who is Jesus? Act number two, on the road, we see Jesus with his disciples. The question being asked, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? And then finally, Jesus in act three is in Jerusalem. How Jesus becomes the king is the, the focus of that section. We'll be in a number of places in the book of Mark. Uh, we'll be starting with Chapter 14. This is Jesus's own betrayal and arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's read some verses from Mark uh, Mark 14. Let's stand together and read those verses together. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, "Rabbi," and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword. And struck the servant of the high priest. And cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them. Have you come out as against the robber? With swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple. Teaching. And you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him. With nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The main idea that I want to talk about today is that accepting Jesus as the crucified Messiah requires a change in our perspective. And that change in perspective helps us deal honestly with our own failures in life. We must accept Jesus as the crucified Messiah First, let's talk about John Mark's failure. The thing that really intrigued me about chapter 14 is this young man. We meet this young man. He's with his disciples. He's in nothing but a a white linen cloth. And when they try to seize him, he runs away naked. Many believe that's John Mark himself. But the fact of that matter is we don't know. And because Mark never says who that young man is, we will not identify him as well. I think he serves as a really good metaphor for our lives. I think there was an actual young man, but I think he serves as a very good metaphor, a metaphor for our failure. You see, I believe Mark is using this young man to point to all of us, something that's deep in all of us. At the moment of Christ, Jesus' arrest, His crucifixion, and His death, the moment that we encounter that reality in our lives, whatever that looks like, we run. That reality is too hard for us to grasp. It leaves us feeling naked. Let me read Acts 15. This is Mark's own failure with Paul. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there rose such a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Mark's failure. We don't exactly know what it's all about, but it was strong enough of a failure to cause great division between Paul and Barnabas. What are your failures in life? How has God met you in those failures? One of my greatest failures in my career occurred when I went off to do church planning. I was an utter failure at church planning. Our church never rose above 14 people. I gave it my best and it failed. I had one of these, oh snap, moments. And it was right in the beginning, I knew right away it was going to fail. Because I knew what I was trying to sell, people weren't buying. And it caused such a major crisis in my life, I had to identify, like, who am I? What, who am I as a leader that people won't really follow? It, it, was, it was a hard moment, as you can imagine. And I came back to New Life Church with my tail between my legs, if we're gonna be honest with each other. And I remember that moment I walked through that door. Coming back. People are like, why is, why is Tim and Amy back? They didn't know about my failure yet. That was, as you can imagine, an exceedingly difficult moment in my life. The other moment I remember wasn't, well, it was a little while ago. My wife Amy came to me at one moment. She goes, I want you to go to celebrate recovery. I was shocked. I was like, well, I'm not drinking have any major addictions in my life. What are you talking about? She goes, you sit in front of a TV and drone all day long. I want you to go to Celebrate Recovery. I did not think that was a good idea. I was major league opposed to that idea. And I remember, Don, you may remember this, I don't know. So I I snuck into the, the, Celebrate Recovery meets downstairs. I snuck into that room that Fellowship Hall And I was just hanging out in the corner. I was doing one of these. And Russ Sanderlin was there. He's like, Tim, Tim. Ah. What are you here for, Tim? All right, Jesus, I get the point. I didn't even think I had a real addiction. Uh, People were struggling with some real things, you know, like alcoholism and and drug addiction. I had like a TV addiction. I couldn't even get a real addiction, you know what I mean? (laughs) And at this moment, I was sharing my heart. I was like, you know, I I treat TV like people treat alcohol. I, I numb my senses with this. I numb my pain with this. And people were looking at me. I thought they were looking at me like I was nuts. I was like, gosh, man, I felt, talk about running away and feeling naked. I mean, I, I felt extremely exposed in moment. I, I just laid my heart. and, I, there, and my, The story I was telling myself was, oh, yeah. Tim, look at Tim, he can't even get himself a real addiction. You know? They just had the oddest look on their face. And I came up to Ross Sanderland. I said, what in the world is going on? I shared my heart with you guys. And he said, I was just thinking to myself, oh, no, I got another addiction in my life. Oh, Lord, have mercy on all of us. We want to flee away naked. We don't even care. We just want to run away. It is a metaphor for all our lives as we encounter the crucified Messiah. We encounter it on a regular basis. It's just not something that happened at crucifixion, it's not just something that happened there. There's countless crucifixions in our lives. It exposes us regularly, regularly. Our crucified Messiah, let's read Mark 8, 27 through 3. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? on the things of man. You do not have on your mind the things of God, Peter. The things of God are the crucifixion and death of our Messiah. Peter tries to talk Jesus out of the crucifixion. The only thing that could bring us redemption and and Peter tried to talk him out of it. And he said, you are one with Satan at this moment. You need to get behind me. Because Jesus Christ knew he was going to the cross. It is a plot of Satan to try to remove our need for the cross. It is a plot of the evil one to say, you do not need the cross in your life. Let's recognize it for what it is. But. The goal of the Gospel of Mark is to reveal the crucified Messiah to all of us. Again and again and again until we are clothed and redeemed. Jesus goes on to say, The disciples of Christ, they must take up their cross and deny themselves. Many of you know Brene Brown. Uh, She's fairly well known at this point. She is a social researcher by trade. And she has been studying, this is very intriguing to me, she has been studying for over a decade vulnerability. She's been researching vulnerability, and this is what she says. The great pandemic of our time is comfort. We believe we are entitled to be comfortable. I never did anything in my life meaningful. Brene, her research shows the opposite of courage is not fear. The opposite of courage is self-protection. There is no courage without fear. There is no intimacy without vulnerability. Who is more intimate to us than our Savior? Who became more vulnerable than our Messiah? It is a call to vulnerability. It is a call to courage at the moment we look at the crucified Messiah, at that very moment we are exposed and we are tempted to run away, that is the moment of our redemption. That is the moment of our redemption. I don't know specifically what happened in John Mark's life to bring about his redemption, but I am pretty sure it had something to do with self-denial. I am pretty sure it had something to do with being intimate with the crucified Messiah, And I am almost positive it had something to do with him taking up his cross daily. Him becoming vulnerable. We must descend into the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus in order to know the resurrection power that he wants to bring to our lives. There is no resurrection without suffering. There is no resurrection without death. There is no resurrection without the crucified Messiah. Amen? Amen. It is our path to our redemption. It is the path to John Mark's redemption. Let's talk about his redemption. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says an amazing thing in light of John Mark's own failure. He says this. He says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demos, now listen to this, for Demos, in love with the present world, he deserted me and gone to Thessalonica." He had his mind on the things of the world, and he fled. Crescens had gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Now here it is. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in my ministry. To an utter failure, to a person that uh, the Apostle Paul said, I will never trust this man, to his redemption, to the part where Paul says, he is very useful to me. Please, go get John Mark and bring him to me. Hallelujah. The redemption of our lives. The redemption of John Mark. Remember the young man who ran away naked? There's a young man that shows up again at the very end of Mark. I don't know if it's the same young man or not, but it's interesting that this metaphor continues. This this person serving as a metaphor. Uh, verse uh, Chapter 16, verses 5 through 8. And and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. This is the tomb, the empty tomb of our Savior. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb. There it is again. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that is how the book of Mark ends. Most scribes, you know, back in the ancient Near Eastern world, there were no printing presses. So scribes had to copy manuscripts over 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 and over, thousands of manuscripts. The scribes were so uncomfortable with this ending, they added their own. If you look in the Bible, they'll make that note. You'll see that. They were so <laughs> uncomfortable with Mark's ending to the book that they, they're they like, it, it can't end here. But it did. I think it's an amazing ending. I think it's an invitation to all of us. Will you flee? Will you flee the most important thing that you could ever see? The empty tune of your Savior. Will you flee? If you're in this room today and you don't know the Lord, He's speaking to you. He's saying to you, Will you flee my crucifixion? Will you flee my cross? More importantly, will you flee the empty tomb? The only thing that holds power for your redemption. I invite you today, if you don't know the Lord, to meet your crucified and now resurrected Savior. He is speaking to you today. He's speaking to all of us. We often run from the power that is available to us. Will we run away? John Mark, in the end, did not run away from his crucified Messiah. He bows the knee to his lordship and does amazing things for Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's think about this for a second. The amazing things that Mark did. He wrote the second gospel. It was redeemed and became a part of Paul's journey again. Most people believe that the book of Mark was used both by Luke And by um, by Matthew as their original source for their gospels, that's significant. That means they found something in the Book of Mark that was really helpful to them. The redemption of John Mark. What does it look like in our lives? And then there's strong evidence that John Mark later brought the gospel to Africa. So, like I said in in the beginning of this sermon. There's all these examples in pop culture about failure to success. And we can find a certain amount of inspiration from those stories, right? Don't be afraid to fail. You must fail in order to succeed. It's an important lesson. It's just not the lesson of John Mark. The problem is success is guaranteed if you work hard enough in our culture. If you work hard enough, they say, you'll succeed. It's just not true. The problem is success is never guaranteed in this world because success or redemption or any of these things are up to our Lord. Amen? Mark's lesson, true victory means following Jesus into his crucifixion, denying yourself with no guarantee of earthly success. Repeat, no guarantee of earthly success. Our ultimate success, our ultimate reward is Jesus himself. We may succeed, we may fail, but in the end, if we end up with Jesus, we're okay. We're okay. This is ex- extremely important for us at New Life Church right now. For what we are trying to do, in my personal opinion, is a bit nutty. It is a bit crazy, it is a bit insane. We are trying to revise, right, revitalize an older church instead of planning a new one. And all the experts say, never try to revitalize a church. Just shut it down and start over again. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to revitalize New Life Church by the grace of our Lord. We are trying to change to be a church that reaches the next millennium, the, next, the millennials, Generation Z, whatever's after Generation Z. We're trying to do that. And then we are trying to, be, to do what I think is the craziest of all, We're trying to switch from being a predominantly white church to a church that's more fully multicultural, including the leadership of this church, going from white leadership to non-white leadership. And when I tell my brothers and sisters in the Lord, I tell some other pastors, they're like, what? What? Their minds, you can watch their minds go. They, They find it actually very inspirational. I, I just think it's a little bit nutty. It reminds me of the, the old Crazy Eddie commercial. Anybody, old heads in the room remember Crazy Eddie? All right, now you've... You, uh, uh, especially as crazy, crazy Eddie, because it's a Crazy Eddie TV and Let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning and crazy pause it for TV. a second. Pause it from the beginning. I gotta tell you who Crazy Eddie is. Crazy Eddie in the 70s, um, he owned all these, he owned these a uh, chain of stores that stole, sold stereo equipment, they sold microwaves, they sold, um, they were like the best Buy of the day. They sold all kinds of things. And Crazy Eddie was crazy. You're going to see from one of his commercials, he was crazy. He had these crazy commercials. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, especially at Crazy Eddie, because it's a Crazy Eddie TV and video Christmas blowout blitz. Crazy Eddie's going to save you a blizzard bucks on giant screen TVs, video recorders, portable TVs, video camcorders, anything and everything in TV and videos on sale now. Remember, we are not undersold, we will not be undersold, we cannot be undersold, and we mean it. It's a winter wonderland. It's a winter wonderland. During Crazy Eddie's Christmas blowout blitz. See Crazy Eddie now, his prices are insane. And he always ended and said, our prices are insane. That's Crazy Eddie. That's what it reminds me of a little bit. We have to be a little insane to do what we're doing. We have to be a little crazy for Jesus. I want to be kind of known as Crazy Timmy. His his dedication to Jesus Christ is insane. Do you want to be known like that? I do. I personally do. There's no guarantee of our earthly success. It's insane. There's no guarantee. If we follow Jesus Christ are now crucified and now resurrected Messiah. No guarantee. No earthly guarantee that we will accomplish our goals. It's insane. It's insane. Are we going to do it? Are we going to give it everything that we have? Are we going to give it all of our hearts? I don't know about you, but this mission, it means something to me. I think it means something to you. I want to give everything I have. This may be the last thing I do in my career. I want to give this everything I have. I want to be insane for Jesus Christ. I want to be a little nutty for Jesus Christ. Do I have anyone that wants to say amen to that? If you say amen, if you're on board, I want to see your hands like this. All right, all right. You're with me now. You're with me. There's just no guarantee of anything. But here it is. Here's the guarantee. If we do this, if we go after this with all of our hearts, if we go after this with all of our hearts, if we fail in the end, we will still know Jesus better. And we will still know each other way better than we know each other now. That is never, and no one will ever be able to call that anything but a success. I want to close with a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. I'll invite the worship team up, our uh, prayer team as well. Theodore Roosevelt, 26th president of the United States, he has this quote, It is not the critic who counts. It is not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or woman who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does not actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, And who at the worst, if he fails? At least he fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. This quote turned around Brene's life in a key moment. Brene Brown became very quick, because of a TED Talk, became very famous very quickly. And you know, and she, you know, what social media is like to people who are successful. You know how brutal they can be. I don't remember all of it, but some of the things they said about Renee Brown were just absolutely brutal. And she, like me, went in front of TV for ten hours straight. She, her particular vice was Downton Abbey, and she numbed herself. And then she's like, you know, I wonder Downton Abbey. I wonder what was going on in the United States during that same time. And she found this quote. People are going to criticize us. And there there are going to be people in this church who are critical. It's just the way it is in ministry. And I'm here to declare the same thing that Brene Brown did. Brene Brown realized a really important thing. If you are not in the arena fighting, your criticism doesn't matter. now on, I'm a people pleaser. That's why I had to go to celebrate the I'm a people pleaser. But I'm not going to listen to people. I'll listen to constructive criticism all day long. But if you're not in the arena, if you're not alongside of me and the elders and the deacons and ministry leaders and, and all of us at this church, if you're not getting bloody, if you're not giving it all your heart, If you're not giving it all your heart, a little bit crazy for Jesus, and you're going to criticize me, I'm not going to listen. Today, marks the day, where I will no longer listen to you. The only thing I will say is get back into the arena with me. Get back into the arena with Pastor Larry. Get back into the arena with the elders and the deacons. Get back into the arena and fight. We are going to fail. We're going to lose sometimes, but we're going to learn from those failures, and we are going to go after Jesus hard. We are going to try our very best, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to make this a place that is an acceptable place for people of the next generation. We're going to do our very best before the Lord to make this a place that is acceptable, that feels like a safe place to, to those with people whose complexion do not look like me. And in the end, Pastor Larry and I have said, and in seven years, something like that, I can't say for sure, if we are still your pastors, then we have failed. Because what Pastor Larry and I want to do is kind of move behind the scenes a little bit and be the support structure, if, God, if that's what God wills for us. We want to be the support structure for this new generation of leaders. I want to give my life to that. Are you, what, do you want to give your life to that? Do you want to give your, I'm asking you right now, do you want to give your life to that? If so, say amen to me. It It is a worthy mission. It is a mission and a vision that God has put on our hearts. And we are serious about it. And I know you are too. So let's bow our heads before our Lord God. Let's thank you for everything we've done. Like I said, I'm really just thankful for this worship team that it looks like it looks. And the beautiful music they're playing for us today. Let us just pause for a moment to give thanks for everything the Lord has done. And I'll close us in prayer. Lord, we want to give this everything we have. And we know in order to give everything we have, we are going to come face-to-face with the crucified Messiah. There is no redemption unless we look to your cross, unless we pick it up ourselves. Forgive us, Lord. There's so many times where you put that cross down. Help us by your grace to pick it up again and to move forward. This is your vision and mission. You put on our hearts. We believe in it. More importantly, we believe in your word. We believe in you. We know that you're going to bring us to a moment of great redemption. Lord, help us not to be afraid of our failures. Help us to look at them and say, what do do we need to learn? And we are going to follow you, Lord, no matter what. We are going to jump back into the arena, and we are going to get bloody if necessary, but we are going to follow you with all of our hearts, with all of our zeal, with all of our passion, for we, we know we're following you. We thank you for the example of John Mark the secret agent of change, an unlikely agent of change. We thank You for His redemption. Redeem our failures as well, Lord. For we pray it in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.